Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Today's guest, Karen Buckwalter, reminds us that if all we do is stop a behavior, it's like cutting off the top of a dandelion. The dandelion is just going to keep coming right back. A behavior might come back in a slightly different shape or form, but if we don't get to the root of it, it is going to come back in some way. I'm Robin Goebel, and this is the Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate it for parents of kids who have experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek and relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and teach the science of interpersonal neurobiology in a postgraduate certificate program. This is episode 23, and today I'm chatting with friend and colleague, Karen Buckwalter, and looking at her three-pillar approach to supporting the parents of kids with challenging behaviors. I started this podcast 23 episodes ago to get you free, accessible support as fast as possible. So the podcast isn't fancy and I do very little editing. Sometimes you'll hear a cock-a-doodle-doo in the background. If you love this episode, add a Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and please share with your friends and colleagues. Then be sure to head over to robingobel.com to discover all of the free resources I have for you. Over on robingobel.com, you can also read about the club, a very special virtual space for parents to experience connection, co-regulation, and a little trauma-informed education. And we are reopening the doors for new members very soon. So today, I'm so fortunate to introduce you to Karen Buckwalter. Karen is a therapist with a list of credentials way too long to list, but I'll offer up that she's the author of two books, the host of an amazing podcast called The Attachment Theory in Action, a fabulous therapy trainer and consultant, and a fierce advocate for good attachment-based neurobiology-informed treatment for kids and families. Karen, thanks just so much for giving up your time this afternoon so that you and I can connect and then we can connect with all these other people who uh, are tuning in. Yes. Yes. I'm excited to be here. I'm always excited to talk with you, Robin, your sparkly, aerially self. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to stay in my chair today and not go upside down while we're talking. Although maybe that's a goal. Like maybe one day I could do interviews from the silk. (laughs) 
Probably joining, not. Joining you from the cells. <laughs> I know. Here I am upside down. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, I don't know if I could think straight like that, but anyway, yes. Aaron, it's always so fun to talk with you because we have so many of the same loves and interests and the same way that we conceptualize attachment and kids and families and behaviors. And I'd love to just hear from you in your own words. Why, why have you like given so much of your life really to these kids, these families? Like, what do you love about this work? Yeah. So, you know, I came into this work, um, really stumbled into it. Um, I don't know if that's what happens with most people, but, um, I, um, had been working in Pennsylvania a year after I got my master's degree. I am from Pennsylvania. So I went to Penn state and temple did all my education there Uh And, um, I was a year from getting my degree and just got my license. So I've been practicing as a therapist for about a year. My husband and I, for a variety of reasons, decided to pick up and move to the Midwest where he was from. And I applied for a job at this place called Shadok in the treatment foster care program is what it was called at the time. Sometimes that's called specialized foster care, whatever, higher level of foster care. Um, And prior to that, I had been trained in, you know, of course, graduate school, which sometimes I know we feel like, what what did we learn there exactly that way? Sometimes Um, that is confusing. Sometimes I agree. um, But um, I was trained in non-directive non-directed play therapy. Yep. And I, so I did what I knew to do. I like set up a traditional play therapy room and with all the props and things that we use in traditional play therapy, the puppets, the dollhouse, mm-hmm. art supplies. Yep. Yep. And, um, I, <laughs> and I, I laugh started... because I know where the story is going. So <laughs> I, you know, got ready to start seeing the kids on my caseload and Robin, it was a disaster. Uh Yes. Um, they were like knocking all the toys all over the room. They were throwing things. They were running out of the room, you know, in traditional play therapy, there's this thing called protection and aggression toys. (laughs) And I said, when they, they start coming after me with the rubber knife and, <laughs> and, you know, all of these aggression toys. And I, I was, I felt so lost. Yes. Um, yeah. I thought, okay, you know, I know I'm only an, a year out of grad school, but like I've done some stuff and uh-huh. I, I've, I've had some success with clients and kids and um, I felt like I was in quicksand. Yes. So I called my um, play therapy supervisor in Pennsylvania and she said, um, yeah, you probably should get, you know, some training in this, that, or the other different models in the play therapy world. And I thought, okay, like I'll look into some of those. And then I called, I decided I needed a local supervisor. So I called a registered play therapist supervisor in Springfield, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, based on what you're telling me, 
you need therapy. Mm-hmm. Like you really need this, you know, with the population you're seeing and the amount of dysregulation the kids are having um, in the office. Um, this is what you need. And here's the, the strange thing. I called my other play therapy supervisor and you got to remember this was in like 94. Right. And she, and I said, well, I, I talked with a local person and she suggested therapy and my former play therapy supervisor said, it's really weird. Like, don't, don't go to that. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, they got, they have really weird boundaries and uh-huh. they like, or lack thereof. Yes. It's, it's kind of some weird stuff. Uh-huh. And, yes. um, I don't know why. Because I had a lot of faith in that person and a lot of respect for that person, but something yeah. inside of me knew, like, I need something really need dramatically something. different. Yes. I need yeah. something like really different than what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, and I went to my first therapy training and then that was it. Like yeah. I started learning about attachment. I started learning about disrupted attachment and the impact that has on children mm-hmm. I started learning about trauma. That was the first place I heard about sensory processing, sensory integration is what people call it. Then it was the first training I ever went to where there was OT and speech and um, PT people in the room. And I was like, whoa, this is kind of cool. Like I've never been at a workshop with those kind of people. And it was like all this cross discipline stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is, this, this is where I belong. (laughs) This is, this is the group of people I want to learn about. This is the group of people I want to understand. Yeah. This is the group of people I hope I could be able to help. Yes. So that's that story. And then, and now 26 years later, I'm still at Chaddock. (laughs) You are still at Chaddock, but you also train other therapy therapists. Yes. consultation for other therapy therapists so you went all in yeah yeah so so I guess you would say I sort of after that workshop I I I guess you could say it was almost like I got religion I was like really gangbusters on therapy and I was very fortunate in that I did at at Chaddock where I work there's this thing where after you come back from a, a big expensive workshop when mm-hmm. we used to go to big expensive workshops and we weren't right. trapped in our houses. Um, we, we would do a thing called a lunch and learn where you kind of share, you yes. know, some highlights of, of, yeah. of what you learned. And so I did a lunch and learn and our, ch- our chief executive officer came to it and he came up to me afterwards. Um, his name was Gene Simon. Uh-huh. He said, Karen, this just resonates so strongly with me. And I want you trained in the highest level that you can possibly be trained in this. And I will support you. Wow. I want this for Chaddock. I want this for the kids that we work with. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's how that went down. That's amazing. And I also hear you talking about, you know, what what we would say is like this, this parallel process, right. That we have between us and our clients and our clients and, and their kids of feeling like everything that we've been taught was not helpful and in supporting kids with, you know, attachment trauma histories, feeling like we were in quicksand, feeling like we were just failing, getting hurt, right? All of these. Yes. Like that's what's happening inside 
their families. Yes. And then so often they get introduced to some new concepts or some new ideas that other people are like, that's really weird. Mm-hmm. But they get this new paradigm, right? These new way of seeing kids and behaviors. And just like, you know, I think, and I, I know I've shared my story with you too. Like I had a similar experience of all of a sudden being like, oh yes, this is it. This is what's going to be helpful to me. This is what's helping things make sense. You know, just like the, the families do when they finally kind of stumble into connection with someone like you or I or the other amazing professionals that are doing this kind of work out there. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start Here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order, and I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. robingobel.com slash start here. Yeah, yeah. And it's so different and it's so um, not... um, hmm. How do we want to say, you know, find the diagnosis and then you treat right. it with A, B or C. Right. Um, I really, as that, that was one thing that was hard about this specialty because it was, if I could call it that, um, it was sort of like the more I learned, the less I knew. Yes. And yes. at times that felt very overwhelming and, yes. um, you know, really inadequate. And I really had to really reframe that, that we're on a journey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like, like we are the families we work with are the children are, and we're in a collaboration of, you know, taking one out of expert status. And, you know, yep. this is what I'm learning. What do you understand works for your kid? How can we come together in a much more collaborative process? Because one thing I really learned was what works for one does not work necessarily for the other. Right. And that's very unsettling. Right. As somebody that, you know, wants to be helpful and wants to, you know, have a solution. (laughs) If there was just these top five things we could tell everybody, Robin. I know. I know <laughs> it would be very satisfying, wouldn't it? Which again, I'm like, and don't our families feel the exact same way, right? Like yeah. how many times do we have families tell us like this worked one time, but it never worked again. Right. Or, you know, that we, that it, this way of being with, I, I mean, I think this is a great way to be with all humans, but when we add in, you know, attachment-based trauma, this way of you know, always being in a space of curiosity in a space of willing to engage and like follow, lead, follow, and, um, willing to say, huh, I have no idea. Let's figure it out together. 
Yeah. And I think that, um, what I would say to that, and it's more just reinforcing what you're saying is to do this work, um, you have to be a ready to, to feel at times as helpless and incompetent as the children and families that you work with. And you need to get what, whatever support you need to regulate that if you're going to be in this for the long haul um, effectively. Like you can be in this and start blaming everybody for being resistant or something. Um, But if you're really going to be effective over the long haul, I think it takes a lot of support for your own regulation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's that for me, it feels like that quicksand thing you've already said that when we spend time with people who have had horrifying traumatic experiences, like the kids and families we've worked with, we are going to come face to face with the neurobiology of helplessness and hopelessness and, and overwhelm. And it is easy to to like fall in to that Mm -hmm. if we don't Mm -hmm. have our own support and connection and like-minded professionals that we can connect with who aren't looking at us all sidewise side, you know, side-eyed and (laughs) raising their eyebrows and like, what happens in your office? (laughs) Which again is exactly what the parents are experiencing, right? Like helping them find people who also aren't saying like, I'm sorry, what's happening at your house? (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. And then I think, you know, in terms of what you mentioned about writing about it, I mean, my first book, Attachment Theory in Action, was very like clinician specific. And my more more recent book, Raising the Challenging Child, Mm -hmm. I think that really speaks much more to your idea that you've been sharing a lot about. This is a way to be with humans. I mean, this is not... I mean, I was really, we were really recognizing at Chadak that all of these things we were learning about attachment and all of the things that we were learning about trauma and co-regulation and mm-hmm. interpersonal neurobiology relate to all kids and parents, yes. Yes. like all kids. And so, so then we were like, okay, the first book was a niche book. We, we should write raising the challenging child just a, as a general parenting book, yeah. you know, get out of this very specific, and it's still helpful for that niche. Yes. So um, the reason I think it's still helpful for the, the um, you know, foster adoption, trauma, attachment, all of that, yep. it's all the same concepts. It's just in sim- more simple language. Mm-hmm. And what I found, there are some really great books out there by some really amazing people in the field of neuroscience, mm-hmm. but even the parent versions are sometimes hard for the average parent to read, especially the, the stressed out parent. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So the book we put together, I really wanted it to be like so simple yes. and like we have 30 lessons divided into three sections. You can read one at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, we got the idea from the book, <laughs> eat this, not that, uh-huh. to, to put charts in that say, do this, not that. Uh-huh. I love that. I love yeah, getting yeah. like inspiration from really <laughs> kind of random places too. Well, I think you know, it actually says, maybe you've tried this. How about trying this? You know, yeah. but really, it, um, you know, sometimes we would think, 
um, gosh, if we could just give parents a book, sort of like uh-huh. the eat this, not that book, uh-huh. um, you know, that's just that. so practical and so direct because yes. I think a lot of times parents read a parenting book, whether it's, it's focused on, you know, trauma after trauma, whatever, or attachment and, or a general parenting book. It's so hard to say, okay, this is the concept. How Mm -hmm. does that apply to my day-to-day life? Yes. And so that's why we wanted like, really like, actually, if you say this, here's something else you could say. Um, This instead. (laughs) I love that though, but seriously, right? Like parents are it's so overwhelmed, so stressed. And just like kids aren't accessing their thinking brain, the parents are struggling too. Like we have to support them in a way that is accessible to the stressed out brain. Yes. 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 Which, and sometimes that is, is very practical and direct. And, you know, honestly, I also learned this in, in just doing supervision with clinicians, like I would say, well, you could say this and they're like scribbling it down. And I'm like, well, you can use your own words. And they're like, well, no, I mean, I just really feel like it helps me to have work, you know? I mean, so yeah, it's the same. No, it absolutely does to have somebody say, well, I say this, even if you don't actually say those exact words yourself, right? having an example of yes. what somebody else does in real life is always. This, this is this, raising the challenging child. It is stock full of examples. And if I couldn't think of an example, it went out to all the Chaddock staff that work with kids. And I said, yeah. what would you do here? Yes. So I had at my disposal, you know, my co-authors and every brain at Chaddock for that's what we a, put in there. That's amazing. So, okay. You said it was, it's t- 30, 30 things yes. in three sections. Yes. What are the sections? Okay. So the first section is be a leader. Okay. And the second session is dig deeper. And the third session is prepare for success. Um, So, and then there's 10 lessons under each of them. Be a leader is about how to be in charge and be structured without being punitive, but in a way that creates safety and connection. Just because a lot of the parents that I work with, they're feeling kind of ineffective and beaten down by their children because a lot of things have not worked. Yes. And then that leads to them feeling like, I don't even know what to do. Yes. And and then that leaves a void of who's in charge. Yes. And whenever there's a void of who's in charge, we know who might want to take that (laughs) (laughs) role. Because it's not safe, right? When there's nobody in charge. Exactly. Somebody's going to shift in. Right. I always always say if there's a vacuum, like somebody's going to fill it. Yes. So it's this way of letting parents know that um, leadership and structure bring safety when it's applied in effective ways. So that's the, the first thing is just because I think parents have lost all confidence in leading. Right things. Um, right. do you also see parents that, um, cause I know I definitely run across this a lot that as they kind of shift over to this more, you know, brain-based connection-based attachment-based model, sometimes that gets, um, misinterpreted as no boundaries, 
Yes. Just everybody should just do whatever because I want to be empathic. Yes. <laughs> yes. So yeah. it sounds like that this first section of your book also speaks yes. to that com- right. very, very common experience. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because I think once parents hear and begin to understand that shift, they might feel guilty or yes. they might feel I was too rigid or yes. I should have understood. And, um, and really, I think setting limits and boundaries in general is somehow negative in people's minds. Uh, I agree. And would I, but it isn't, it provides safety. And, you know, a lot of the families I work with, um, there, there's still a lot of out of control behaviors in the home, even when they're starting to have lots of empathy. And I say, we have to have physical safety and psychological safety. Right. Like yes. we can't, like we can't have one without the other, like yes. we need both. so we can't have all of these aggressive behaviors and people getting hurt and really make significant progress. We, we need to look at both. So that's, right. yeah. So that's what that's about. And yes, I fully endorse that. I see that. And I also think our overall culture, just looking at parenting in general, pushes this sort of, let's be super democratic and give mm-hmm. lots and lots of choices mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. let's, you know, we don't want to hurt anyone's self-esteem or anything. Yeah. Um, and in all of this, that has led to parents not feeling supported and at times just really needing to take charge. Yeah. There's this way, and I'm assuming that we're just in this kind of continued paradigm shift that just like boundaries and boundaries and structure feel like punishment. Yes. And so when I, I, you know, I have such a clear memory even of one time talking about this with a family and just like this wide eyed gaping, like, um, if we don't punish, how could we ever set a boundary? (laughs) And yeah, that is a really scary place to be. Like if your only tool in your toolbox, or if you think boundaries and structure are about punishment, or that's the only way to create boundaries and structure, then yeah, it feels really scary. And like, I, there's nothing that I can do to possibly create boundaries and structure. So even just this entire cultural paradigm shift that there's a place in the middle of punishment and, you know, kind of this laissez-faire, you know, approach, there's a place for both. Yes. And moving back to the, the subgroup of of folks that, you know, you're working with and parenting after trauma work that you're doing. We also have to look at the history of working with children with attachment and trauma issues too. Mm -hmm. And at first there were a lot of proponents of this very rigid compliance base, do it right the first time, fast and snappy eye contact at all times. It was all of this, like, really rigid structure. And if you let your children get away with anything, then they were getting sicker. I mean, I don't know if you were taught that, but that's what I was told when I first got into this work. So then, you know, I think with what the work that Karen Purvis did and, you know, other people that have done work in this area, area, therapy, um, you know, interpersonal neurobiology, everything we're learning about regulation and, Then I think it's almost like the pendulum swung the other way is like, oh my gosh, we, we definitely need to be a lot nicer and more understanding and empathic and, and all of that. And so, you know, I, I, I think that 
you have that a lot in 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 various fields where like things swing too far and we have to have like something in the middle. Yeah, yeah, finding that space for the pendulum to rest in the middle, but yes. it does take some swings. Yes, yes. In different directions That's for true. a while. Yeah. 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 Okay, so the second section. What's the second? Yes. Tell us so again the second, second one. So dig deeper is about looking beneath behavior and ours and our children's um and you know the analogy i always give is if you just stop a behavior and i can i can tell you ways to do that i mean we can Mm -hmm. figure out how to stop a behavior Mm -hmm. but that's just like cutting off the top of a dandelion in your yard and that dandelion is just going to come right back yep um it might you know in behavior be like slightly different shape or form Mm -hmm. um but if we don't get to the root of it. So it's really um, the message that all behavior has meaning, Mm -hmm. that uh, we need to dig deeper than what's on the surface, um, that really blow-ups don't come out of nowhere. Um, There's very subtle cues and things that are be given off. A lot of this too, I use a lot of video in working with parents Mm -hmm. and video analysis allows us to see very subtle things Mm -hmm. going on with a child. Um, So basically it's just digging much deeper than what's on the surface and trying to extinguish that behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to get at what the real problem is to have any sort of long-term successful change. Yeah. And I think that for a lot of people, it's like, well, how do you stop stealing? Well, how do you stop runaway behavior? Well, how do you stop aggression? Mm-hmm. Well, that really depends yeah. on what is driving that behavior. Yeah. Um, yep. And it, I think as parents and therapists, we just want an answer. We don't want to have to tease it out and figure it out. And we don't want to hear it depends, mm-hmm. um, but it does. Yeah. Because one intervention is like, like we said earlier, is, is not going to be the end all be all. I think that, I think that was one of the hardest things in our program at Chaddock, our residential treatment program, where we moved from a behavioral system mm-hmm. to more of an attachment-based um, trauma-informed system. Yes. At first, people felt like you took away all of our tools. Yep. Like we're like in free fall. Like what are what are we supposed to even do? Like every time we bring something up, you're like, well, it, it depends. Like, let's talk about it. Um, and then eventually people were able to say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We felt like we had no power, Yeah. but when we had the power of a relationship, our power went through the roof. Right. So, but it, it's a very hard journey to get there when you feel like everything that I was doing, you're saying I shouldn't do now. So now what do I do? That is a really scary place to be. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Especially with, you know, when you're parenting kids with at times really dangerous behavior. Yeah. Like behavior that you, you you and I are never implying like, well, that we just kind of have to deal with that behavior and not address it. Like, no, 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 no. Like we are, we, we agree with with families that like behaviors need to change. They're not, they're not safe. They're not long-term 
helpful. And, you know, I think beyond all of that, they're coming out of a place that needs healing. Yes. Right. So yeah, we want to, but when you're first sort of presented with this idea of feeling like you have absolutely no tools and no power and also really dangerous behaviors, sure. It feels really, yes. really yeah. scary. Yeah. And we yeah. start to kind of future, I use the word like future trip, right? We, uh, we start to think about like, if we don't nip this behavior in the bud right now, like what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty hard to pull ourselves back from there. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so that's the dig deeper, dig so deeper. Looking okay. and, and I'll, I'll be a broken record and say, and looking deeper at your own behaviors too, and yes. your own reactions and where those are coming from, because yes. a lot of times you think they're coming from your interactions with your kid, but they might be coming from somewhere else too. Yes. Um, so, and then prepare for success. The, the third section is about I think one of the biggest keys in all parenting is being proactive. Yep. Like, what do I need to do to set my child and myself up for success? I mean, I tell this story about how when I became that treatment foster care therapist and was like so clueless. Um, I mean, I was trying, but Robin trying exactly. Um, and we, I mean, Chattox in a rural area. It's a town of 40,000 with no other towns for two hours bigger than that. So it's farm areas, counties. So we would serve a lot of counties. And so I would have kids that were in foster care and their parents would be bringing them in for maybe 30, 45 minutes or more in the car. So they're in school all day. They may have eaten lunch at 1130. You know how school schedules are. Sometimes kids yeah. eat real early. Yep. So they've, they've been in school all day. They haven't eaten since, you know, late morning. Now they're sat in a car yep. and driven to me. So now it's like, you know, three, four o'clock prime time. And we're going to go in this little room and talk about and work on these hard things in your life. Right. And it was just like, what a ridiculous idea. Like, <laughs> no kidding. It would have been such a better idea to take them to the playground and give them a snack right. I mean, before, before I thought of anything, you know, I mean, I, I look back at it now and it's like, what were you thinking? You couldn't do therapy like that. I mean, it was, no movement, no food, you right. know? Um, and so that is a story that I always think about in terms of these basic sensory needs and needs mm-hmm. for movement and needs for good food and hydration. Like a lot of our kids, as you know, they're not even aware when they're thirsty. So if you're not offering liquids, like they're very often dehydrated. So it's a lot about, you know, how do I prepare myself? How do I prepare my child? How do I think ahead in a situation of what my child's going to need? Because so many difficult behaviors can be prevented if we're like taking steps ahead of time. Yeah. And I recognize that's very hard to do when you're really overwhelmed, but it's a goal to get to. It is really hard to do, but so is chronically dysregulated behavior. Yes. Right. And, and it is so hard to get out of that cycle of just constant fire putting out essentially. And, you know, to look for these little opportunities to take a little step out, because if we never 
you know, get out of the constant crisis chaos mode. Right. So, so yes, it is really hard to, to plan ahead and to set up for success and all this proactive parenting. It is, it is really hard. I mean, I, I have a 15, almost 15 year old and the trajectory of parenting is that over the years, parenting gets a little bit easier, right? Like a little bit less involved. He needs less constant co-regulation than he did when he was five, right? And that's not true for most of the families we work with, that their older kids still need like this intense co-regulation way of parenting. And it is really exhausting. It is so, so, so exhausting. And I really recognize that and living in constant crisis without ever having the opportunity to step back and do some of the like prep, you know, planning Mm -hmm. for success and being a little bit more proactive is, is more exhausting in a way. Yeah. And I mean, I think like in the book we talk about, you know, and and this is a concept that's in business literature too, Mm -hmm. the relationship bank account and putting positive experiences in. So when then you have to make a withdrawal, which is a hard no, right. you know, something like that, you don't bankrupt the account and lead to a (laughs) meltdown in in the child. And, you know, even like with, as you know, I love TheraPlay and you do too, but, you know, I used to tell parents in in the TheraPlay sessions and some of the activities that we did that they would later do at home, I would say, it's almost like an inoculation. Like Uh you're giving this like heavy dose of attention so that maybe later when you can't give that amount of attention, it will carry them um, and help prevent, you know, completely falling apart. Um, So, you know, it, that, that's a lot of what that preparing for success chapter is about. Yes. Awesome. Okay. So it's just one more time for everybody. Cause it's nice to have some structure. Say the three things again. It's be a leader, be a leader, dig, dig deeper. Yes. And prepare for success. Prepare for and success. And it's called raising the challenging child just released in paperback this year. Um, so we're excited about it. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll make sure everybody knows exactly where they can go and get the book. And you mentioned it really briefly, but I want to just also highlight your first book because it really, it answers those questions. I love, I love those resources, right? It answers the questions everyone's always asking, right? Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about that book and who it's helpful for. Yeah. So, um, I have so many therapists and some parents, but lots of therapists say, I don't know what to learn next. Like I'm hearing about attachment stuff and I'm hearing about trauma stuff. And, um, you know, I hear about therapy and I hear about child parent psychotherapy and I hear about EMDR and I hear about ARC and I hear, you know, and, um, (laughs) it's like, I don't, I don't even know where to turn. And so, the first book is an edited collection of a lot of attachment-based models um, so that a therapist could read that and say, well, yeah, I'm trained in this one and this other one really resonates with me. You know, that that's where I think I need to head next. Um, So there's chapters on therapy and dyadic developmental psychotherapy and um, child parent psychotherapy, infant parent psychotherapy that Michael Trout wrote about. And I also do think, even though it's a more clinically oriented book, 
parents are sorting through that too. Yes. You know, they're kind of like, well, I heard this thing or I heard that thing or, um, you know, so I think for a certain segment of parents who, who really like to research things like that and, yeah. and see an array of practices that are out there that might be helpful, it could be good for them. So that one's attachment theory and actually in the same title as my podcast. I was just going to say as your <laughs> podcast, which has the same goal, right? To like, right provide a space for people to have easy access to learn about all this different cool stuff that's out there. Right. Yep. So attachment theory and action, just like y'all are listening to this podcast, you can put that into your podcast search thing Yes. and come up with it. You have had amazing guests. So everybody definitely should go check that out. Thank you. I regularly spend time thinking about how grateful I am to have had so many opportunities to connect with and develop relationships with such remarkable people, including Karen. If you haven't already listened to Karen's podcast, Attachment Theory in Action, definitely go check it out. Her newest book, Raising the Challenging Child, has recently come out in paperback and you can find it wherever you love to buy books. There are 30 lessons in the book broken down into three categories. Number one, be a leader. Number two, dig deeper. And number three, prepare for success. I'll put the links to where you can find Karen and all the goodness she's offering down in those show notes. If your family is in need of even more support or you find yourself looking for a community of folks who just get it, I'd love to invite you into the club a virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and education for parents just like you. Parents in the club are saying things like, I had no idea how helpful it would be to feel less alone. And you know what? Undoing aloneness changes the brain. We talked about that last week. Changing the brain means you feel better and parent the way you want to. Over at robinsgobel.com, you can get on the wait list for the next time the club opens up. You can also get immediate access to short webinars on narrow topics like lying and opposition or deep dive into my comprehensive online parenting course, Parenting After Trauma, Minding the Heart and Brain. If you are loving this podcast, please share. The sooner the whole world understands a neurobiology, of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human, the sooner our kids will live in a world that sees them for who they really are. Completely amazing and sometimes struggling. Yeah, sometimes struggling a lot. Thanks for tuning in today. I'll see you next time. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally. Someone gets me and my kids, but also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids. 
a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you can get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.